Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Has there ever been somebody that you really needed to talk to, but they're just not responding? Now, if that happens today, if you try to email and text and call them, what do you assume? They're ignoring you for some reason. And the longer it goes on, what happens? What was that, Betty? The more you get upset, right? The more you start wondering what's going on. Now, I am of an age that I can remember what life was like before there were even, um, you know, you know, the old tape uh, message systems for the phones, right? Back when the phone would either ring and ring and ring, someone would pick up or it was busy. Those are your three choices, right? And back when it was either busy or it would ring and ring and ring, if someone didn't answer, you wouldn't think anything about it. You'd just try again some other time. But we all know what that feeling's like when you're waiting to talk to someone. No one's responding. Hold on to that thought for just a minute. The Lord is king. Let the earth tremble. He's enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Now our psalmist starts with that simple acclamation of God's greatness. And everything we talk about today is predicated on God's greatness. It all builds from there. And the psalmist encourages us to proclaim his goodness too, right? He also says of God, O mighty king, lover of justice, you've established equity. You've executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. So it's just not God's greatness that's being extolled, his otherness, but it's his character too. The psalmist said God's establishing a kingdom based on justice and equity. We may not all have started out in the same place in life, but God's love is for everyone, regardless of whether you were born to be a king or you were born as poor as was possible. But God's not a distant ruler. It's not like when you call and leave a message for a politician or a business owner. He's not like that family or family member or friend that you've called and you've texted and you emailed. And it's just a wall of silence coming back from them. The psalmist talks about how Moses and Aaron and Samuel, about how God has spoken to his people in the past. And then he goes on to clarify, to say, O Lord our God, you answered them indeed. You were a God who forgave them, yet punished them for their evil deeds. The psalmist is saying that God's forgiveness does not always protect us from the consequences of our actions. In our Old Testament lesson today, we read, Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and as he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Now today is the transfiguration of our Lord, the day we remember God fully revealing who Christ was and his coming glory. And each year on the Transfiguration Sunday, we look back at another time when God was fully speaking to his people. Now this is the second time that Moses has come down with Mount Sinai, carrying the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. The first time, and you may remember this from the Ten Commandments, Moses has gone so long, what happens? Everyone thinks Moses is dead. There's no way that he can be alive and have been on that mountain for as long as he's there. So they convinced his older brother Aaron, the one we read about in our psalm. They say, Aaron, we need to make something. This thing with this God that Moses brought us with isn't working. And when Moses comes down the mountain the first time, they find him, they, he finds his, the children of God partying around a golden calf that they've made to be their new God. 
And afterwards, after they dealt with the consequences, God forgave them. Even after all that, Aaron is still the high priest. God still speaks to him. And after a little bit of time, Moses goes back up on the mountain. He comes down again with the tablets. But this time it's different. Moses has been talking to God the way one talks with a friend. And it says being in God's presence physically changed him. But he didn't even realize it. And when he came down the mountain with his face glowing, Aaron, his brother, sees him. And it says that all of God's children ran and hid. Now why is that? Moses' face was glowing. And I'm sure that they're thinking they're scared at this point, right? How often have you seen somebody whose face was glowing? They might have thought that God's judgment's about to begin. Instead, it was a symbol of God renewing his covenant with his people, a symbol of his love and forgiveness. Moses called Aaron and the people to him, and he laid out what God had told them. And just like what should have happened the first time he came down from the mountain. And Moses had to put a veil on so people could be around him. And the only time that it says he took it off is when he went into the tabernacle to pray and talk with God directly. And God continued to speak to him and continued to speak to God's people. In our gospel this evening we hear, Eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. Now, because it's the day we remember the transfiguration, we're jumping ahead in our Jesus story. In the last few chapters in Matthew's gospel, from where we were, where Jesus had been telling all of those parables that we've read about the last three weeks, Jesus has been continuing to preach and to heal. And he's explained to those listening that it's not what goes into a person that defiles them. It's what comes out. And then they asked him, Jesus, if you want to prove to us you're really the Messiah, show us a sign. Jesus says, I've been showing you signs. I fed 5,000 people. Was that not enough of a sign? You've seen the healings. You've seen the other things. Are those not enough of a sign? He was asking them what else could they do so they'd believe and accept. And instead he says, no, we're not, I'm, not, I'm not here to just perform miracles on command. He says, a wicked and perverse generation look for another sign. And just before this, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And the disciples start by going, well, some think you're Moses, some think you're Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter being Peter, looks and says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And now God is showing them who Jesus is. It says while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, just like what happened with Moses. And then it said his clothes became dazzling white. And I'm sure for them that seeing Jesus change and transform must have been shocking and encouraging at the same time. Peter, when he sees it, it must have been an affirmation that his faith in Jesus was not misplaced. And I'm sure the apostles that were there, Peter, James, and John, it would have brought their minds, jogged their memories back to that story of Moses and how God's glory had been shining around him and on him. And with Jesus, it's so much more. Luke says his clothes were dazzling white. The other time that Luke uses that as phrase to describe clothes or to describe the angelic beings that talked to the Marys and Martha 
and talked with Peter and John at Jesus' resurrection. It's the same description of the clothes that those two people that show up as Jesus is ascending into heaven at the end of Luke and at the beginning of Acts. That's how they're dressed, in dazzling white. And while all this is going on, two other men just appear. And they realize it's Moses and Elijah. Now, for years, commentators will tell you that this is a physical representation of the law and the prophets. And I think that's probably true. But they're also there to encourage Jesus. They're talking to him about his departure, about what's coming up. Holy Week. Palm Sunday, right? Monday, Thursday. Good Friday. Easter. Everything that's going to be happening in Jesus' life over the next few weeks. When they were done speaking, Peter starts to ask if they should build them tabernacles here. It makes sense, right? The last time something like this had happened, when Moses' face had turned white, where were they? They were standing on God's holy mountain. Holy here meaning something that's been set apart for God. And when Peter sees this, I'm convinced that he knows he's standing in a place that ought to be set apart. But also says he was kind of talking out of his mind, didn't know what he was saying. But before anyone can answer, the cloud descends, and God speaks from heaven again. And he says the exact same thing that he did at Jesus' baptism, right? This is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. God's speaking not only to Jesus, he's not only encouraging him for the hours yet to come, He's speaking to all those that were there. Peter, writing decades later, says, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to refresh your memory. Peter feels like he needs to remind the church of what had happened. Peter says, listen, I'm near the end of my time on earth, and if that's the case, we're 30 years or so after the time Jesus was on the earth. He tells him, listen, the stories we tell you in church are not cleverly devised myths. Peter, I'm an eyewitness, he says. I saw these things. I was there for the teachings and the miracles. I was sent out twice with others. While Jesus was still here to proclaim that the kingdom of God had come, we went out with healing and deliverance, power and majesty. And then Peter recounts some of the details that confirm everything he experienced that night, right? that he received honor and glory from God the Father, when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Majestic glory. That's how those clouds that Luke describes as scaring them, that's how Peter describes it 30 years later. Peter says, We heard the voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Moses coming down from the mountain, face glowing, carrying the Ten Commandments, scared and convinced Aaron and God's people that Moses was bringing in the covenant. When Peter and James and John saw Jesus transform and saw Moses and Elijah come, when they heard God's voice coming from the clouds, confirming Jesus' identity. Beyond that, when they heard Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking about what was coming in Jesus' life, his death, resurrection, and ascension, Peter and the disciples didn't understand or maybe didn't want to accept what they were hearing in those days. But it all came to pass. And then God said that not only was Jesus his beloved son, but he was pleased by him, pleased by the things Jesus was doing. 
And Peter says, these facts have confirmed who Jesus is and what he did in their hearts. He says it's like a lamp shining out in the dark places. That while we're waiting on the morning to come, and light to envelop everything, the morning here being Jesus' return, Peter's telling them to hold on to the stories, the ones corroborated by him as an eyewitness. Then he says, listen, not only are we not talking about cleverly devised myths, he says prophecy doesn't come out of a vacuum. God speaks, Peter says, to men and women and not of our own interpretation. He says the church discusses, and we know from looking at church history, sometimes those discussions take years or decades to understand when things change. And sometimes people don't like the change. But the God who spoke to Moses and Aaron, the God who spoke to Samuel and the psalmist, the God who transformed Jesus, and sent Moses and Elijah to speak with him. The God who spoke to Peter, God still speaks to us. And just like Moses' face was transformed, and just like when Jesus was changed, that same God wants to love and to speak and to change you and I and everyone in our world.